Chapter Twenty Four of the Forgery by George Payne Rainsford James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Four. When I was a boy at school, I used, like other boys, to employ very unprofitably some of my leisure hours in keeping silkworms. In a neighboring garden, there was a large mulberry tree, and for a certain sum, I forget what, I, as well as other boys, was permitted to go in and gather as many leaves as I thought necessary as food for the emblem of the English literary man. I mean the silkworm who spins golden threads for the benefit of others, and whose tomb is valued after he himself is gone. But it is not with the silkworm I have to do now. The leaves which I gathered as a boy are my illustration. I remember very well that I used to place them one upon the other in a pile, and try to gather them as nearly of the same size and shape as I could. But, do what I would, I never was able to find two that were exactly alike. A point would stick out here, and a point would stick out there. Some would be a little longer, some would be a little shorter. And I used to marvel, even in those young days, that in such a simple thing as a leaf there should be such infinite variety. I have marvelled more at human nature since, in which, with all the training and forcing and moulding of society, with similar education, similar laws, I might almost say similar accidents, we never find two characters exactly alike, any more than two leaves perfectly the same on a tree. Were this a contemplative age, I would venture to meditate upon the subject much farther, for it is a fine one and a strange one, but this is not a contemplative age. It is an age of action, wherein no thought that does not apply to the mere business of the day is worth a farthing. I do not mean to abuse it. It is quite as good as any other age that ever was, or perhaps ever will be. But still, this is its character. It has lost something, if it has gained something. Let those strike the balance who keep such accounts accurately. I am of the age so i must onward and i only put down these meditations because there are some men of a contemplative term such as i once was myself and because even men of the most earnest activity have their contemplative moments and that which is suggestive interests more than just that which is objective it is difficult to find words to express the infinite and although it may seem a pleonasmatic expression I must say that all the varieties of human character have infinite varieties within themselves. However, the easily impressible character, that which suffers opinions, feelings, thoughts, purposes, actions, to be continually altered by the changing circumstances around, the chameleon character, if I may so call it, is perhaps the most dangerous to itself, and to those it affects, of any that I know, it goes beyond the chameleon indeed the reptile only reflects the colours of objects near retaining its own form and nature the impressible character on the contrary is changed in every line as well as in every hue by that with which it comes in contact certain attributes it certainly does retain the substance is the same but the colour and the form are always varying in the substance lie the permanence and the identity all else is moulded and painted by circumstance. Now, substantially, 
there never was a kinder or a better heart in the world than that of lady fleetwood she was ever anxious for the happiness of those around her she was too anxious in fact for never thinking they could secure it for themselves she was always seeking to do it for them in her own way in this too she differed from many other persons that the foundation of her ill-directed activity was not exactly vanity it was not so much that she thought she knew better than they did what would contribute to their happiness as that she was always making mistakes as to what their real wishes were as soon as she was thoroughly convinced and completely comprehended which seldom happened what her friends truly desired no one would labour more zealously to accomplish it than she would but always in the wrong direction be it remarked thus it was nearly as dangerous to let her know one's wishes as to conceal them this may seem a somewhat singular character but yet i believe few who have lived long have not met with some specimens modified by circumstances probably and indeed there is a spice of this same disposition in more people than we know there may be in ourselves if you wish to prove the fact give a commission to a friend he would do anything to serve you but he never executes the commission as he received it when henry haley left her drawing-room with charles marston lady fleetwood who had fully made up her mind that her niece maria ought to marry her nephew charles and that she would have married him too if he had asked her which by the by wasn't the case was very much disappointed to see a towering impediment rising up in the way of such a consummation and she resolutely and at once determined to go that very day and consult with her brother mr scriven in the desperate hope of still bringing it about she remained firm in her purpose till the visitors who were in the room took their leave also but then unfortunately a conversation took place between her and maria which changed all her views and purposes take note reader that each word is considered even that word unfortunately when the visitors were gone lady fleetwood thought she might as well say something to maria about colonel middleton she thought she should at least learn what her views and intentions were and very likely her own advice and remonstrances might still affect maria's decision heaven help the poor lady she was but little aware that maria's stronger mind and more energetic character had guided her like a child for many years without ever seeming to do so indeed but gently gaily laughingly she had some little difficulty in beginning for there was a sort of vague consciousness of weakness about her which occasionally made her timid in her activity however she at length said i did not expect to find colonel middleton here this morning my love maria who knew every turn of her aunt's mind as well as that of her own sandal saw what was coming and a slight glow spread over her face deepening the colour of her cheek and tinging her fair brow and temples why not my dear aunt she asked knowing that it would never do to show any timidity why if he was here for an hour before i came in his visit must have been an early one replied lady fleetwood maria mused for a single moment but then determined upon her course at once he wished to see me my dear aunt she said and therefore he came at a time when he thought i should be home lady fleetwood began to perceive that the matter was rather hopeless 
and shaking her head with a deep sigh, she replied, "'I am sorry to hear it, my love. I had hoped—' There she stopped, and looked so disconsolate that Maria, in her own kind and gentle manner, crossed the room, sat down beside her, and laid her hand kindly upon her aunt's. "'You had hoped what, my dear aunt?' she said, and then added, with a gay smile, "'That I should marry Charles?' "'Why, I certainly did hope it, Maria,' answered her aunt, "'and I know that your uncle wished it also. "'Your wishes, my dear aunt, would always have much weight with me,' replied Maria, "'but I am afraid my uncles, upon such a subject as this especially, would have none. "'As to Charles and myself, however, though I am very sorry that any wish of yours should be disappointed, "'you will, I am sure,' "'Admit that I never gave you any reason to believe "'that such a thing as a marriage between him and me could take place. "'Indeed, quite the contrary. "'Charles and I are utterly unsuited to each other, "'though I have a great regard for him, and he the same for me. "'But even was such not the case, my dear aunt, "'certainly no marriage can or ought to take place "'where neither party is willing, "'and Charles, depend upon it, "'will be quite as unwilling to marry me,' "'as I should be to marry him.' "'But that's no reason, my dear, "'why you should marry this Colonel Middleton, "'whom you have known only for a few days,' "'said Lady Fleetwood, almost sharply. "'Certainly not,' answered Maria, "'her colour a little heightened, "'nor did I say that I am going to do so. "'But yet I may see a great number of good reasons for doing so, "'and no reason against it, "'in any impracticable scheme.' which friends, however kind, may have thought fit to frame for me and Charles. But tell me, my dear aunt, what objections have you to urge against Colonel Middleton? Why, that you have known him so short a time, replied Lady Fleetwood, causing a faint smile to flutter about Maria's pretty lips. And then he is half a foreigner. You can know nothing of his character, his disposition, his fortune, his station nor indeed anything about him maria leaned her head thoughtfully on her hand and mused for a minute or two without reply lady fleetwood thought she had made great progress that her niece's resolution was shaken and that by a word or two more she might triumph indeed maria she said you must think better of this matter and not give this young man such encouragement I will do everything I can to dissuade you, and I must get your uncle to help me. I have no doubt the man is some foreign adventurer who thinks to raise himself from adversity by marrying an English heiress. Fie, fie, my dear aunt, cried Maria, almost indignantly. This is unlike yourself. Is it generous? Is it kind? Is it even just to speak thus of a man of whose character and situation you know nothing? "'But now, my dear aunt, I will tell you, I know everything about him. "'His family, his fortune, his character, his station. "'He is no needy adventurer, but a distinguished officer "'with ample fortune and a high reputation. "'The Conde de Fraga told me so last night, "'and if he has met with adversities in life "'and sorrows bitter and undeserved, "'it shall be my task, and a sweet one, to console him and make him forget them. Lady Fleetwood was aghast at the result of her own efforts, for she had never seen Maria so much moved before, and she felt also 
that there was some truth in the reproachful words of her niece. "'Well, my dear Maria,' she said in a timid tone, "'I did not know that you had so completely made up your mind, "'or I should not have said what I did. "'As to Colonel Middleton's character, of course, as you say, I can know nothing. "'I only spoke from what your uncle said, for he seemed to think very ill of him.' "'I thought so,' replied Maria. "'It was quite sure, my dear aunt, that it is not in your nature to injure or traduce anyone even by a word.' My uncle is harsh and prejudiced, but surely you will not listen to unfounded suspicions, the justice of which he cannot bring forward a proof to support. I know very well your uncle does dislike him very much from his likeness to poor Henry Haley, said Lady Fleetwood. For that very reason I should love him, replied Maria warmly. And now, my dear aunt, she said, taking Lady Fleetwood's hand affectionately, do not pain and grieve your Maria by throwing any needless and useless obstacles and objections in my way. Be assured that I know well what I am doing, and shall be perfectly prepared to justify it. But even were such not the case, were Colonel Middleton poor, as you have supposed, you would not, I am sure, provided he could prove himself, as he assuredly can, an honourable and upright man, endeavour to thwart the affection of two people who love each other deeply and devotedly that such is the case on my part you may be perfectly sure for no consideration would ever make me give my hand to a man who did not possess my whole heart you yourself my dear aunt have shown that you can feel the deepest and most enduring affection and you ought to know how painful it is to hear objections suspicions and prejudices urged against a man whom one loves. The tears came into Lady Fleetwood's eyes. "'I do indeed, my dear Maria,' she said, "'and now that I know you do love him, far be it from me to do anything to mar your happiness. Far, far from it. I will do everything I can on earth to facilitate your views. But still it is very strange that you should become attached to him so soon and so strongly.' Why, I have seen many a man paying devoted attention to you for months without being able to obtain anything but the coldest possible return, and in the end a decided rejection. No man had any right to make me reject him, replied Maria, for I have always taken care, my dear aunt, to give no encouragement to such proposals, and I have done my best to avoid them. For you may well believe that nothing would be more painful to me than to inflict pain upon another. "'But still it is very strange that you should become attached to Colonel Middleton so soon,' answered Lady Fleetwood, returning pertinaciously to her point. Maria smiled. "'There is a secret, my dear aunt,' she said, "'which I must not tell you, or anyone yet, but you shall be one of the very first to know it, and when you do, it will explain all that now seems strange.' Lady Fleetwood meditated, saying, "'A secret? Well, my dear, I don't wish to pry into any secrets, but be sure that I will do whatever I can to help you.' And warming in her new zeal, as she went on, she said, "'Whenever Colonel Middleton comes again, I shall go out of the room, just to leave you alone with him, for you may have things to say to each other.' 
no no my dear aunt pray do not do that exclaimed maria only let matters follow their course quietly and easily take no notice of the feelings between colonel middleton and myself and i promise you that if i have anything to say to him or he to me which requires to be said in private i shall very quietly take him into another room for i am not in the least ashamed of my choice or afraid of avowing it notwithstanding this admonition excellent lady fleetwood was determined to be of service to maria and her lover now that she was fully convinced of which way her niece's happiness really lay she was all eagerness to promote her views there was a necessity for activity in some direction upon her and had she but possessed the rare quality of discretion she might indeed have helped the lovers very much but unfortunately the worthy lady's first consideration was how she might be active immediately without waiting for opportunity which is always very indiscreet no way presented itself to her imagination for some moments and while maria retired to her room to dress for going out and moreover to recover from a greater degree of agitation than she had suffered to appear lady fleetwood went on considering what could best be done to remove all difficulties from her niece's way as mischief would have it the only thing she could think of was to go and persuade mr scriven that it would be the best possible thing after all for maria to marry colonel middleton she felt not the slightest doubt in the world that she should be quite successful for although she had enjoyed plenty of opportunities of judging of her brother she was not yet convinced of the indisputable fact that mr scriven could never be persuaded whether it was that his brains were harder than other men's or that he never formed a wrong opinion in his life or that there is a peculiar organ of persuadability which he did not possess certain it is that he was never known to yield one step when once he had taken up his ground however as i have said lady fleetwood felt perfectly confident of success she was convinced herself and she thought the same arguments which had produced that effect on her must be convincing with others she did not remember indeed that she was not unlikely to forget one half of them nevertheless she thought i will not say a word about it to maria it will be a pleasant surprise to her to find that her uncle offers no opposition i will just wait till she has gone out and then drive to the city at once End of chapter twenty four